You're listening to the Classic Gamers Guild Podcast. Part of the Adventure Game Hotspot Network. Guest! <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Classic Gamers Guild Podcast, where we explore the world of classic games and the nostalgia that they bring. In this episode, we have our resident FMV expert, Jackie, with us. A lifelong classic gamer, an admin of the Classic Gamers Guild, and a really good friend of ours. So, hey, Jackie, how's it going? Hey, doing great. It's good to finally be on here after listening to you guys constantly for weeks and months and years at this point. We haven't had a, a real conversation in forever, so this is nice. Yeah, and actually, luckily, I'm going to ignore that. All right. Okay, I'm just breaking things already. <laughs> oh, it's okay. I thought I was automatically blaming Paul. This is refreshing. <laughs> <laughs> this is good. This is good for all of us. But yeah, I've, I've actually had a chance to meet you, Jackie, and, and, and we hung out at uh, some Sierra parties in the past where we got to hobnob with a few uh, fancy people that may or may not have been involved in some of the Why would you choose that description? <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't want to hobnob. <laughs> I, yeah, it's true. I was hobbing my... No, wait, no, I'm not going to say that one. <laughs> That's going to sound way worse than I intended. <laughs> and this is why people tune in, though, isn't it? Really? No, if not, just turn it off. I don't know why you're here in the first place, because it happens a lot. <laughs> right, there will be no miraculous recovery from this. <laughs> <laughs> All of a sudden, they just changed. <laughs> So yeah, some of us have played FMV games, some of us more than others, but uh, more recently I myself have played Phantasmagoria 2, which was a really cool FMV game that, I mean, I don't know, I hate throwing around the word underrated, but I hadn't heard a lot about it, and I, I kind of tossed it off as being like, well, maybe seconds wow. aren't any big thing, but it was like, wow, this was a really good game, guys, right? Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's okay to call it underrated. It's certainly overlooked, at least, because mm -hmm. it came out kind of at the tail end, uh, it, like later in the 90s where FMV was already kind of coming out of style and adventure games were about to hit that rough patch. Yeah. But it's it's such a... it's And of course, like the first game was so infamous for uh, everything, just, you know, the, particularly the grotesque levels of violence and... You know, this game, you know, having absolutely nothing to do with the original and, mm -hmm. you know, just being kind of a separate story. You know, when you think of it, just kind of like a like it could have gone on as an anthology series that Phantasmagoria could mean anything. Uh, but, mm -hmm. we, we, you know, nobody bought the second game but me. So <laughs> it, it, was uh, it ended right there. there. Well, how did that happen? What, why do you like FMV games? When did you start playing them? What's what's the history here? I need to know. So it, it all goes back. I mean, kind of everything in my life goes back to adventure games in one way or another. Uh, like, no joke, I was able to... <laughs> I was starting to read when I was two years old because I remember mm -hmm. my mom playing Maniac Mansion on the Commodore 64, and I wanted to know how to play it, too. I could see all the words, and I didn't know what they meant. So, uh, yeah, it, like, it, adventure games have just always been a big part of everything for me. And I remember specifically in 1993... Um, this is a story I'm going to be telling a lot uh, for for reasons that will become clear later, um, but uh, I remember we went to a our local Circuit City. If anyone doesn't remember what that is, uh, they used to sell computers. Um, service was state uh, of the art. Yeah, and now they sell absolutely nothing. 
<sighs> but they, you know, in their in their day, they were a big, you know, Best Buy competitor. Really, really great store. Uh, I remember us going in there. Um, the guy showing us a little game called The Seventh Guest on <laughs> this brand new Packard Bell Windows 3.1 computer. And I remember Ooh. we were just blown away by, you know, everything. The visuals, the music, especially the music, which, again, we'll get into some other time. Um, but, it, you know, it, it was one of those things where, like, this was the the next generation. Like, this is a whole different world of technology from you know my nintendo and our old commodore computer because that's all we'd had up to that point was commodore computers mm-hmm. and those you know those were almost a decade old at that point i think um so it, it was a, a level of technology we couldn't even fathom so it just uh it kind of just hooked us from there uh, as soon as we got that we went home with that computer we went home with a copy of the seventh guest and <laughs> dude <laughs> continued playing them for years and years as, you know, as many as we could get our hands on <laughs> because we loved adventure games and FMV games and adventure often went hand in hand. That's really cool. So that was your first glimpse, like seeing a game and being like, this is the future. Like, cause I, that was yeah. the idea, right? Anyway, with FMV games that these would be the future. Anna, do you have one? Would, did you have like a moment where you like the first time you saw an FMV game? Do you remember it? Yeah, totally. Uh, Under a Killing Moon was my very first FMV game. And I was amazed because at first hand-painted graphics was the most realism I'd ever really seen in a game. So this is the first time where I'm like, oh my God, because my dad presented it to me. And he's like, do you want to play a movie? And I'm like, well, what do you mean? He's like, check this out. It's like a detective noir, like you're the guy. And it's this, and I ended up, I had such a crush on, uh, was it Chris Jones, the guy that played text and all that in it at the time. But it was, it was a huge deal to me. I was like, wow, this is interactive TV. I thought it was going to be the future. Yeah, that's, that's really, okay. Well, let me jump back real quick too. Cause before I forget this, Jackie, you had said that you played or that you remember your mom playing Maniac Mansion. And we get, we hear a lot of like, I think we only hear stories of like me and my dad, let's say. Mm-hmm. I, that's the first time I've really heard like I saw it from my mom. So was was she into adventure games? Oh, absolutely. She still is. Uh, my dad, actually, he was more, I remember him playing, uh, well, he was good at, at action games, but he actually was more like the RPG type. I remember him playing Wasteland constantly over right. and over again on the Commodore. <laughs> um, and uh, that, and he played like Duke Nukem 3D and all the all the shooters. But my mom, it was really about adventure games. Um, we got, you know, we got hooked on, we started with Maniac Mansion. She played the hell out of Zach McCracken. Uh, when we got the, the PC, uh, we were all about Monkey Island. Uh, our first, we, we started late with the Sierra stuff. Our first game was King's Quest six, which is a high bar and you had to kind of work backwards in there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, King's Quest six, uh, was huge. Gabriel Knight, the first one's probably our favorite. Um, she, but yeah, she's still, she's still doing it to this day. Uh, recently she's really been into like the ace attorney games i think those have cool been the big ones for her right right okay those really hit the whole gamut don't they because my my middle son played all of them and absolutely liked them too he's just in his 20s now so it's it's an all ages kind of a series isn't it yeah it really is i mean because they're they're you know they have a silliness to them but a maturity (laughs) at the same time it balances that really well and the writing, like the tra- the uh, the localization, is just incredible. Like, because you know they could almost be passed off as visual novels, but there's a little more interactivity to them. You know, there's the the investigation and all that that goes with it as well. But yeah, they're just they're incredible games, and they they, they really stand apart as as something wholly of their own. You just it right like they 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 are their own genre, <laughs> and that's what's beautiful so- about them. 
if I think about uh, in the history of FMV games, that's that's a part of what they were doing for us, wasn't it? Bringing us to a location in a way that no other game format had yet. Even even going back to the very beginning, that was their idea. Like they wanted to bring you into the game. You're looking at Dragon's Lair. You're in a whole different world, and it's kind of more cartoon-like, right? Oh yeah, and God, Dragon's Lair. I was. I can still. I can still play Dragon's Lair. I got so obsessed with that as a kid that I can still play it on, on like one credit. I can get you through the whole the whole thing. <laughs> I had it memorized. Uh, it, it actually, funny enough, that probably my earliest childhood memory is the Commodore version of Dragon's Lair, which was terrifying uh, as a kid because you know this guy you know dies and turns into a skeleton every time. Uh, and I was like, oh god, there's bones under the flesh, aren't there? So <laughs> it was it was a lot to deal with at that age. But yeah, and then I, you know, as technology progressed and you were able to play the actual arcade games at home, and y- y- I remember having like the the early CD-ROM version of Dragon's Lair and just mm-hmm. hating how cruel it was and like obsessively learning every move so that I I could uh, I could work my way through it and and still do <laughs> I can still play that any day of the week. I think we go. We kind of go from Dragon Slayer to because it, it almost feels like FMV stuck with consoles at first. Um, mm-hmm. Well, I mean that's contradictory to the Dragon Slayer. I'm thinking of it as an arcade game, but it moved on to, to Sewer Shark. And then, really, my question for you guys is: Have either you played Night Trap? Uh, yeah, I have. Uh, I actually have an original Sega CD copy of Night Trap, awesome. uh, <laughs> like the one that came in that big red cardboard box with the the ridiculous cover art before they did the right. rating system. Uh, very, very prized possession of mine. Uh, and yeah, I love, like, I understand Night Trap is not a great game conceptually, but I I grew up in a video store, basically. My mom worked in, you know, one of those independently owned local video stores before Hollywood became, or not before, well, Hollywood Video and Blockbuster, before they came and kind of took over all the the small spaces, the kind yeah. of video store that had all the weird, lurid shit, uh, all the crazy horror movies and you know, the, the, the section for the adults and all that stuff. Uh, and so like there was, even though it's relatively tame by comparison, uh, there's something about night trap that kind of captures that whole video store era that just, you know, the trashy slashery idea that I just, I love, I love that game. It's so weird. It's so dumb. The only real problem is that for all the controversy that it went through, I wish it went farther. There's, there's nothing really objectionable in that game. It's like, you know, watching, a slumber party massacre movie, but there's not really a massacre. That's funny. Cause it was banned from like KB toys and toys R Us back in 94. They're like, there's absolutely no way we are selling this kind of pornography to our audiences. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And then it got re-released with a rating later. And uh, lo and behold, I think it's kind of like a teen rating. Cause there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. No, no, not yeah, at everybody all. Was, like, everybody was a little on edge back then. It was like Bart Simpson just said, holy cow, we're pulling it off the air. Like, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, relax. he told people to eat his shorts, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> you know what people have in their shorts? Their penises. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were all worried about like Bart Simpson corrupting us, but it turns out like me and all my friends turned into Lisa. <laughs> <laughs> The games probably helped. I'm probably a lot nerdier and like less bratty than I ever would have been if I didn't discover these games to like calm me down and yeah. snap me up. Yeah. And yeah, there's a lot of critical know. thinking involved. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, because I've never played Night Trap. I've only seen like clips and things from online, but really, I should. Should I? I think it's fun. It's, yeah, I, 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 I will say this if you play it with uh, like a guide on the ready, there's nothing wrong with that. 
It's it's oh, such a weirdly designed game that if you have something <laughs> telling you what to do, it's fine because there's still timing involved. So as long as you're able to do what you need when you need to do it, then it's it's worth it just for the experience of seeing all the weird stuff that that game has to offer. <laughs> yeah, I think That's- that one because at some point I guess we could just go there now. I wanted to bring up just like the the pros. Like when is it a good campy and when is it a bad campy and i would say that this is just the pinnacle of campiness like it's this is i think when campy becomes fun is is when it's been such a you know such a long amount of time that you can go back and and just enjoy it on a completely different level like like wow like when something is so just the antithesis of of like 1988 or whatever year it is where it's just like man this couldn't be more 90s if it tried like it's there's something fun about that Mad Dog McCree is super campy. I, I saw the big box actually oh, yeah. when I was at the game store yesterday and I was drooling over it. They were still charging 50 bucks for it. I couldn't pick it up this time, but even that's campy in its own like Wild West kind of a way. Yeah, Mad Dog McCree was one I, I didn't get my hands on until way late. I got like the Wii trilogy or whatever that they put out, which, yeah, I think that's going for a lot now too. So I was lucky I got it for like mm-hmm. five bucks when nobody wanted it. But yeah, for me, uh, I will admit that like, I don't have like a limit for campiness. I, I love that shit. I was, I was born into it really. Um, I just, I love extremity. I love things that go too far. Uh, just go all the way full bore on the dumb things. And you know, like my favorite directors are John Waters and Lloyd Kaufman. Like that's, that's mm-hmm. nice. Yeah. What you get out of me. <laughs> uh, so, you know, anything that leans too hard into camp is going to appeal to me immediately and that might be why i love fmv games so much because a lot of them especially like mad dog mccree it, it feels like you know like the local community theater putting on uh you know an interactive melodrama for everybody <laughs> those <laughs> games are ridiculous but i love them for that there's there's a heart to them that you don't get in a, in a shall we say more polished production Right. Well, they get more serious as time goes on. I mean, if I if I look over it, they start off really campy, and then I think they really made a go of it to be less campy and more realistic. Even though, like looking back on it, it still is a bit campy. Swing and a miss. As the progression yeah. went on, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that was the yeah. end. Yeah, I, I would almost I would almost argue that the FMVs right now, looking back at this, I, well, I was going to say golden era, but kind of just the era of them. Um, they're they're almost past like the statute of limitations or whatever. Like it's, 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 you're not going to look at an FMV, like let's say Phantasmagoria one, you're not going to play that and be like, Oh, this is corny. Oh, the acting mm-hmm. isn't great. It's like, well, you know, like we're way past that. It, it, it's just so far past that. Any goals of like, um, fair criticism that it's just, you have to see all these as just campy now. And, and in a great way, I mean, that's what makes, uh, we, I did a recent replay of Phantasmagoria one and that's, that's what, it was more fun this time because of how campy it was. It was just so like, whew, man. And, you know, watching them stand like, like about face, like doing that weird kind of pose they would do in between. It was just, wow. Yeah. And there's, there's a certain, a certain charm to like that adds to it of just the technology of the time, them, them coming to grips with this new technology. And there's, you know, there's something more charming to that almost than, this, you know, modern shot on digital, everything looks great and sounds great and feels perfect. I, I, I kind of like the flaws. Yeah, that's a great point. Because so, there's some baked in flaws. Now, there's there's some modern FMVs, obviously, where there's fans of things and there's new things coming out. One of them is, I think, a Gilder. Um, it's uh, Tiana Studios did Dark Side of the Moon in 2021. So... I haven't played that, but I'm just saying that I'm not sure. I'm not sure if, if the modern studios making these games have conquered this problem. But one problem they couldn't seem to get around was what to do 
what to do with idle time. So um, I'll use an example of Gabriel Knight 2. Um, Gabriel, it didn't matter how intense or not of a conversation you just had, it would still go back to like this idle moment of Gabriel just being like, ah, so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he always has to reset to default Gabriel. Right, reset. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. And it's I've, I've not seen a, a, one of them really get around that. Phantasmagoria 2 does a pretty good job, but it almost just seems like an, a baked-in thing that they're always going to have to contend with is coming out of whatever you know sentence they just said and into some sort of default. Yeah, and at the very least, they did get they as time went on. You'll notice they kind of got better at recognizing that there's going to be this default pose, this default mode they have to get back into. That earlier mm-hmm. on, it was it was a lot more jarring. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like um, Adrienne, I guess, or Victoria. I always forget which one's her mm-hmm. real name and which one's her <laughs> character name. But from Phantas One, that was the whole about face militant stance, which you almost get why they're doing. It. I've never heard it confirmed, but I can just almost safely assume it was to you know try and capture that that well you know for editing purposes yeah it's like this is yeah the safe neutral pose yeah yeah exactly do this at all times in your orange shirt that you wear every day yeah they were hers i didn't realize that was her pants and her shirt the whole time she she had it at the beginning of the shooting and they were the right colors and by the end of it they were held together literally with like duct tape and hope wow wow that's cool Right, because she just she just happened to have them with her, so they couldn't go buy like six more at Macy's or whatever. That's that's really cool. Yeah, I think I, that was off of one of the conversations with Curtis episodes. So she mentioned that as one of the stories, and I was just like, "Wow, I never even thought about that." <laughs> I thought you had like a whole stack of them. <laughs> I mean, you would think that you know, like a like a cartoon character that like she just had whole closets filled with that same outfit over and over again. Right, she knew yeah. what she liked, and she wore it every damn day. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> let me let me ask you a question of to kind of send around the room. So what what do you guys think that FMV games can do that other games cannot? Uh I think it's just the I mean really just the cinematic nature of it all I find charming. I like, you know, I I consider myself like I work, you know, in the movies, uh, not directly I, you know, exhibit them. Uh but consider myself an actor of sorts uh when I'm allowed to. <laughs> and, you know, there's, there's something to be said for a, you know, full on live action performance that, you know, no matter how good a voice actor is, they're still only getting to do voice acting. And I, you know, I like the, the realism. I always loved, especially the games that kind of mix, you know, real people with, uh, you know, digital environments. There's, there's just something so weird and intangible about it. Then the uncanniness is honestly more fun to me. Like Toonstruck, that kind of idea. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. What are some examples? I guess Killing Killing Moon, kind of, right? It gets a little like sci-fi sometimes. Render. Yeah, that's one. that's one. I, I believe it or not, I've only ever played the non-FMV Tex Murphy games. I played <laughs> Mean Streets and I played Martian Memorandum, and I haven't gotten past those. Like those have digitized characters, but not full-on FMV, and I really need to get past that. Yeah, like the X-Files game is full on FMV. Yeah, like, the X-Files the game. That is just solid FMV. <laughs> yeah, and that was that was also, that was a big sign of like the budget within the game mm-hmm. where if everything was real, then you mm-hmm. knew they went all out. Just, you know, FM, you know, like FMV was, you know, I mean, the X-Files had that Fox money. That, that was the biggest right. show on TV. That was probably as big as the medium ever got. 
But well, this is where it was going because this is, I think, the game The X Files came, came out at the very end of the 90s. So when you're looking at that and you're looking at Under a Killing Moon, they really did. They're like, this is an interactive movie. This is an interactive TV show. This is your entertainment taken to the next level. And that's what FMV games to me can do that other games couldn't do. They can bring you into the show. You can actually see the characters and what like they look like. And you are getting some control over what's happening. And, and you can't really do the same thing without it being fully FMV. Like you can try to make things look as real as you want. And it's, it gets so hyper real, it's awkward now. Like they're getting it, but they're not real yet. They can't do it yet. So this is the only way that we can have that even now. Right, right. That's interesting because we, I, my, my answer is different than than the two that you've both given, which is nice. So, um, and it would be the, it would actually be the real world location factor, which you're just starting to touch mm -hmm. on there, Anna. But but to a different, different focal point as opposed to like, well, yeah, I guess I guess it's obviously different because I'm saying real world as opposed to maybe a fictional mm -hmm. world like of X Files because there's something cool about that too, where it's like. Like when the first time I played like hit and run with the Simpsons, where it's just like, I'm in Springfield, like, you know, that really cool feeling of being in a fictional world is totally valid. But my choice would be real world, be real world, where words are they're so hard. Um, because of Gabriel Knight 2, for example. I was going to say, I knew yeah. Gabriel Knight 2. And how many people do we have, sorry to cut you off, exactly. but how many people do we know that have been like, oh my gosh, I've now been to these places. Like I have enough nerdy friends now, that I love all of you, right? But that you've gone off and you've visited the places from Monkey Island. You, or, you know, you visited places from Gabriel Knight. I mean, Monkey Island's not a good FMV example, but the locations really capture people's imaginations for sure, Paul. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It was like uh, Adventure Game Geek did, did, well, as soon as I finished... Gabriel Knight 2, I was just infatuated with the way Jane Jensen wrote that was like blurring the lines between history and fiction. And I, I, I you know, talking about Wagner and things like this, like, you know, historical figures where I, I just got on this mission to figure out what exactly was true. Like, what is real in this game? What, what did Jane write and what, is, what did history write? Um, and along that kind of journey of after playing it, um, I found Adventure Game Geeks videos who, and he went to a lot of the on-site locations from the game. And mm -hmm. I, I like I had I had just been to Germany like five years. I mean, five years is kind of a while, but kind of not too. I was like, man, I, was, I feel like I was just there, and I really missed the opportunity here <laughs> to go, like see these exact sites. I was kind of bummed out, so I do want to do that again one day. But mm -hmm. but Jackie, video have you played, game tour. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Have you uh, played Gabriel Knight too? Uh, yes. The uh, so full disclosure, I think the greatest game of all time is the first Gabriel Knight, and I think yeah. the second one is really good. Yeah, uh, mm -hmm. I think I, 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 I actually. Yeah, yeah I'm Gabriel sorry. One night, one night, number one's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that Beast Within, just as much as I love FMV, that first game is so tightly written and plotted, mm -hmm. and everything is so perfectly put together. Yeah, that as much mm -hmm. as I love FMV, the FMV stuff kind of slows it down by comparison. I feel like mm -hmm. that game takes a little longer to get going. It does. Um, it does. It is and, a burner. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, but but it's 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 still it, that's probably as far as as far as like if if I were telling somebody who wanted a serious good you know experience with an FMV game to start with that's probably the one I'd pick to start because mm -hmm. it you know it's brilliantly written like Jane Jensen was like more than anything she was good at like you were saying weaving you know reality mm -hmm. history into this stuff to the point where you have to wonder what's real and what isn't. That's what I love about that first game as well, is that yeah. there's so much history that, like, like she did the research. Yeah. It, mm -hmm. it wasn't like she just made up her own lore, and that's that's the beauty of that game. Also, like, 
Gabriel Knight too. Like, I mean, it's it's June. We're talking about Pride Month. Could you get a more homoerotic game than that? <laughs> the, the the just like everything between Gabriel and Von Glauer and Von Glauer's mm-hmm. search for uh, an eternal mate in werewolfism, <laughs> right? Like entropy is you know it's. It's very, uh, it's very, it's right up there with you know, like Louis and the Stat in Anne Rice's stories. Right, mm-hmm. right, yeah, that's a great direct comparison. Yeah, there's, there's, there is an, uh, I don't, I'm not even sure how subtle it really is. I, I don't know. It's, it's definitely not on the nose, but it's, you know, yeah, it's, it's only that they don't absolutely spell it out, but it's, it's like right mm-hmm. there in your face. Yeah, right. It's just right. not kissing you on the mouth. <laughs> Right, a little more subtle than oh, nice. Then they went, I guess, with Phantas too. They they explored a lot of different directions. Actually, that was a real you know limit pushing game too. So yeah, yeah, that's that's kind of why that game means to me what it does. It, it, mm-hmm. it grew on me as I got older because when I when I first played it, you know, I would played the first Phantasmagory and I was you know I, I was watching my mom play that. I was young and that was like that was the i don't i didn't get scared by a lot back then and i don't now but that game does such a good job the first one mm-hmm. of you know it takes its time and in, in that you know horrible things happen throughout it but you can't die until that final act of the game right. so once horrible gruesome things start happening to you it you know it like i i kind of liken that whole last act to it of like the last act of the shining it's you know just mm-hmm. don chasing his wife around mm-hmm. the house like like uh Jack Torrance uh, chasing his wife, and it's you know that the, the the tension of that chase is is what really stuck out the most to me, and just the absolutely gruesome deaths. Where Phantasmagoria too, it's you know you load it up and it's like okay, I'm this guy, I'm this nerdy guy, I work in a computer, I work in a in a cubicle somewhere, uh, and immediately like the characterizations are way more human and realistic. He's got a gay best friend who is mm-hmm. not played for laughs, is not a stereotype. Uh, mm-hmm. Probably the first in video games, definitely one of the the earlier pieces of just really solid representation, kind of just in general, even even from movies around that time. Like Trevor is, is just a regular guy who also just might be gay. Happens. And yeah. also maybe Curtis, like there's, there's that unspoken possibility between him and Curtis because mm-hmm. so much of that game, I feel, is about gray areas. It's about identity. Uh, you know, and, and it never really condemns all the weird things that happen. Like, you know, the mm-hmm. game, it gets into like Curtis is openly dating more than one person at the same time. And nobody's really upset about it. There's no jealousy. Mm-hmm. It's just like, you know, maybe you, they, they don't, I don't even know if the term polyamory existed back then, but Curtis is clearly at least, you know, on that level, <laughs> you know, he's, <laughs> he's, he's juggling a couple girls and maybe thinking about Trevor at the same time. Uh, <laughs> you know, he goes to a, a BDSM club uh, several times and the game never treats that as though it's corrupting him in any way, uh, despite the things that he's, you know, doing publicly uh, with, you know, with one of his coworkers. Um, <laughs> just, and, and, you know, by the end of the game, even though it's dealing with, you know, spoiler alert, alien stuff. Um, Believe it like or not. It's, it, yeah, it very much feels like a, a, almost a metaphor for, you know, maybe the trans experience of like, you know, this guy being uh, put in this body that may not be the right one and trying to discover, you know, what he's actually supposed to be, what he's more comfortable as, or is he happy mm-hmm. the way he is? And I just, there, there's so much under the skin, so to speak, of that game. Uh, that I'm in, and, and knowing Lorelai Shannon, I'm sure that she knew it was all there. 
some of it before we even had proper terminology for it. And it's, it's just, <laughs> I love it so much for that. And it's, it's grown on me so much more over the years for that, except for that goddamn puzzle at the end of the game that doesn't make yeah. any sense. <laughs> Which we will definitely get to as well. And, and I guess that's another part of it. Uh, I mean, we talked a bit about hybrid wor worlds and some of the positives, but what about downsides to FMV? Like, uh, is there any reason, like, why didn't they take off? Why aren't we all playing FMV games right now as much as, you know, I think the industry, even Hollywood and Fox Studios thought that we would be? I think it's just uh, because of the limits of the technology. You know, you can't, if, if something is 100% simply voice acted and digitally rendered, uh, it's much easier to, you know, add in something. If you didn't film something, the, the, the amount of work that it would take to get everything set up, uh, film that, you know, or got, imagine doing reshoots and rewrites and oh, things like that. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I can't even imagine the, the hell it would be to make that work. Uh, which, I mean, there are games that, you know, they had legendarily long production cycles that kind of, you know, killed them by this. Like, uh, one I like to think of a lot is, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Harvester, where it's right. a game that took several years to come out, and there was a lot going on in it, but by the time it hit, uh, there was nobody interested in what it had to say. Right, interesting. It was immediately aged by the time it came out. Yeah, I, I'm just thinking further. I, there is, like, a developmental burden and and that really might be the 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 ruling factor. I mean, I guess it's almost self-explanatory why there's not too many indie devs doing them. Um, but and your question just it, it did make me wonder like why isn't there any major studios going for it? And I guess it's just not time versus money. I guess just a boring yeah. answer like that. And and yeah, like say you have a production of sixty hours for a movie, and then you have to like times it by four for a game. Yeah, because right. once you once you hit your budget, you hit your budget. You're done, usually. <laughs> right. And there, are, I have noticed. I, I can't think of a lot of them offhand. Like there are AAA games now that have you know sparingly been using bits here and there, and that that always kind of excites me. Uh, but it's not the same. Like I know certain Call of Duty games will have full on live action intros and stuff, and mm. it you know it's always surprising, but it's never in the actual gameplay anymore. True. Like even Panzer General, some of those games too, like the in-between cutscenes are just like, you know, war footage. Yeah. And like, uh, or, or like, you know, you look at the, the Command and Conquer series, like those, those are loaded with fantastic FMV, uh, but it's mm -hmm. all outside of the actual gameplay. It's, but it's worth it because, uh, you know, it's, it's almost like a, uh, a prize in those games, uh, getting to go. Uh, you know, sur surviving whatever onslaught you have to go through and then getting back to Tim Curry yelling about space. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's like, it's the middle zone. It's not as interactive as a typical adventure game and look, see, you know, interact and all that, but um, it is more interactive than a TV show. So to me, it was always like here, if you like watching TV, you might like this. And if you like adventure games and like watching TV, you might like this, but I guess maybe it didn't even carve out its actual niche because it is a little bit railroaded. It is a little bit linear and it is a little bit like, oh, now I have to watch it and I have to click on things. <laughs> yeah, but sometimes, sometimes that's, you know, the beauty of it, especially like, and it really just depends. I mean, I mean, sometimes like I, one of my favorites is uh, the take two game Ripper, which hmm. that thing they sold like a movie. You watch that trailer and you know it, it, it's like they were they were selling a movie they had one of the most incredible casts i've ever seen you know they had christopher mm -hmm. walken in there 
uh, like Burgess Meredith, David Patrick Kelly, John Reese Davies, Ozzy Davis. Uh, wow. They got Paul Giamatti before he was big. Like there are what? so many people in oh, that right. game. Right. Okay. And it's it's just it's such an incredible weird little cyberpunk thing. And I wish they would re-release that <laughs> so much. Uh, but yeah, like that one is one of the ones that really feels like, even though it's, you know, a point and click, you know, on rails, kind of like the seventh guest thing, since it's like a, it's a detective story, it, it feels like the limiting on that one works exactly the way it's supposed to. You mm-hmm. know, the places you need to go, you know, uh, and honestly, I'm sure the Tex Murphy games are very much the same. I need to get into those, but where mm-hmm. those were, it, yeah, Ripper was such a high end, uh, conceptually uh as in the budget actually seemed to match it because they had so many big names involved and i know that the guys that did that also did the the black dahlia game that came out a few years later and i have that one but i haven't gotten to play it yet but i've heard that one is is a lot more of a serious it's not you know futuristic cyberpunk i know that's one that's supposed to actually be the black dahlia murders and right. instead of that huge cast, I think they've just got Dennis Hopper and Terry Gar, which really Dennis Hopper's all you need. <laughs> yeah, to be fair, right. But yeah, those those were just such high high marks for for like not just FMV, but I think adventure in general. Like mm-hmm. just great adventure games. Even if they didn't have those, the gameplay and the the story and the especially because Ripper had different endings and you never knew who the killer was gonna be until until it started getting along and you actually had to figure out, you know, who the, you, like you could fuck it up. <laughs> and, you know, it wasn't just set on a, on a straight path. Like a lot of these had to be uh, due to the nature of, you know, well, we only filmed this one thing. Right. Right. It's almost, yeah. I'm looking at the ambition behind Ripper, it, I can almost see it as like the moment the industry realized this wasn't going to be sustainable. <laughs> Cause it's like, like you had mentioned before, it's like only having Hopper, only having the one is it's like, it's okay in an adventure game sense. But for if Hollywood was looking at this as like a vehicle to take their industry forward, you would, you would need a, a well-rounded cast, you know, a John Reese Davies, mm-hmm. um, a Christopher Walken, etc. Like, you know, a good four to six people that, that are somewhat names and to have yeah. four to six people saying dozens of lines, like, you know, just over and over rejection lines. I, I can't do that because of this. Like having Christopher Walken do that has to cost a fortune. Um, so you have That's them filming all these point. rejection lines. Which but- is why they've got all these B-level stars. Like you've got, oh, in Under a Killing Moon, you have Brian Keith. He was in The Parent Trap, Hardcastle, <laughs> and McCormick. <laughs> no, I didn't. I, I just, yeah, I guess you're right. See, I'm wondering, like, were they B-stars then or did this make them up? But all right, so the, to, answer, to answer, I think everybody kind of hinted around or, or both of you, I should say, at some point mentioned railroading or, or linear. Mm-hmm. So is that maybe mm-hmm. the biggest downside to FMV is that they tend to be kind of linear railroaded just because of the footage? I think that's definitely what it is for a lot of people. You know, like like I love the, the repetition of going back and, and replaying, you know, Dragon's Lair or, or Night Trap or anything. But like once you've seen it all the way through, you've pretty much seen, unless you figure all the different weird ways to die, which is kind of fun in and of the, themselves, like... Yeah. You've kind of seen it unless there's a really compelling story to go back to like a good movie uh which some of these have and some of them absolutely don't <laughs> that's kind of just that's the breaking point for a lot of people i think Fair. right yeah because under a killing moon gives you okay like when you're playing phantasmagoria 2 you're kind of directed through it linear like but under a killing moon there's conversational choices so you've got your your 
It's more of like a traditional point and click. And I think that's based because they did start before the FMV games with the Martian Memorandum and the other ones too. So it's it's like a little bit of a middle ground, almost a stepping stone between adventure games and full-on FMV games a little bit. Yeah. So that I think could have worked if they kept up with that a bit. Yeah, it definitely helped in their case that they already had a world established beforehand. You kind of mm-hmm. knew... You, know, you kind of knew the world of, of Tex Murphy before became a fully realized human being. <laughs> nice. Yeah, it makes you wonder too if like like how much importance it was behind like a Chris Jones and just the idea that like it was like pure FMV. Like we're we're we're, we're making this kind of game because we want to make this kind of game, not because we're hoping it's the next big thing or because it's trendy right now. It's like they were really okay with and committed to the repetitious rejection lines and things like that, where it's like, yeah, this is what you do. And and they didn't have to pay these, you know, stand in Hollywood actors like a Christopher Lloyd or Walken, for example, like, you know, they, I think Chris Jones was down to do the, the dirty work. In other words, to just bang out the, the part of it that makes it probably extremely painful to work on. Mm-hmm. So what, what I got out of that was that, for the game to work, you have to have a guy named Chris acting in your game. <laughs> <laughs> At least one. Yeah, exactly. That we figured it out, guys. That that was it. <laughs> yeah, Christopher Lloyd, yeah, Christopher Walker, and Chris Jones. You're good to go. You're good. But they never did. I mean, it was tricky, right? When Roberta was envisioning these games, and when they were all being filmed, and I think even with Phantas One, it was a little bit of a realization that there's no way we can make it look as good as we're filming this in HD, like pristine condition. And and so a part of me thought maybe if they were able to do that, that that would make people more interested. Now Netflix is about the closest I can find because they did these little interactive shows, right, for some mm, of the, right. the kids ones, and you could go in and you could make a choice, and that was like almost like a cross between an FMV and one of those early DVD games that you used to be able to play on the remotes. Isn't there like a, like a black mirror. Um, yeah. Bander, Bandersnatch. Yeah, I think it's called. That's the one. Yeah. Right. Jack, it was okay. With that? Oh, sorry. Say that one more time. It's, are you familiar with Bandersnatch? It's like a black. Yeah, mirror. I, I played that when it came <laughs> out and managed to work my way all to all through in one go to just what I guess they considered the official full ending. So mm-hmm. I was pretty, I was pretty happy with that experience. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, the, and I, I had a lot of fun with that. That was, but you know, that was hearkening back to exactly the kind of stuff I already liked. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. right. And I don't know out. if it worked for them because they're not exactly making more of them. They actually went more into the mobile gaming industry now instead. Yeah, there, there was another one or two of them that mm-hmm. I can't even remember the names of. Plus, they also turned, I think, the Telltale Minecraft game into a Netflix game for mm-hmm. a while there. Uh, but I think mm-hmm. that's gone. Uh, yeah, so it, at least they were experimenting with it. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I, that's, I guess that shouldn't be overlooked because then you would kind of pose the question of like, where'd they go? And I, mm-hmm. I, it just seems like, yeah, it's, this was 2018. So that's five years ago. Yeah. If that had mm-hmm. done well, we would have seen more. So I yeah. think. <laughs> if it did a thing, it would have done its thing and we would have noticed there'd be a whole bunch of them. Yeah, exactly. And and I guess the so so maybe is production quality even the problem? Like is it the is it that the people that are watching TV are not interested in playing a game and there's not enough gamers to make enough of an industry for them to pay actors to do the thing? Like I don't even know. And it's also that gray area of like, you know, but like they're two different mediums technically, but you know, you have two industries working together and I, I can't imagine that there's a lot of overlap with one understanding how the other one works very well. Right, well, they infamously <laughs> do not work well together. I mean, just all the, all the 
horrible, especially adventure uh, license games there were. And then, yeah. you know, it's t- it took Hollywood until, you know, I think the first Sonic movie to make a, to make a video game movie that wasn't. Yeah. Admittedly, I, I also have on top. I mean, this is just going to qualify me as like a trash person, but like <laughs> between uh, on top of FMV stuff, I have a huge affinity for, uh, bad licensed game, and good licensed games, but especially the bad licensed games and all the video game movies. Like all that stuff just fascinates me. I, I guess it's just something between the idea of taking a piece of art and then turning it into something completely different, uh, generally purely for commercial reasons. It just absolutely fascinates me because right. there are always, almost always, better ways to do it, and they never seem to do those things. Right. It's it's fascinating, like almost like a train wreck. Where it's like, wow, they keep taking the wrong turn. How do you do that? Yeah. Like how, every turn you took, and then and then. It, it becomes a parody of itself and it becomes fun again. I totally get what you're saying. I think it's like if somebody was really into a licensed game and, and just thought it was quality and it wasn't, that would be maybe one thing. But like being into it for exactly what it is, like I'm thinking of Wayne's World or um, Bill and Ted or Hillbillies. There's there's a lot of Oh, them. yeah. Uh, yeah, Capstone in general, their, right. their adventures were rough. <laughs> right. Their adaptation of The Dark Half has some of the absolute stupidest solutions to any puzzles I've ever seen in my life. Right, like, you know. Oh, yeah. I'm being, uh, I'm being want. I, I'm being investigated for murder. Let me hide the things that will prove that I'm the murderer in my own <laughs> mailbox and in my own closet. This is a very smart game. Yes. <laughs> Hidden in plain sight. <laughs> we'll never figure it out. It's awesome. What about a game like the what was it the Blackwell Blackstone? I always get them confused. The Chronicles one, the John Saul one that we played, Paul too. That was that kind of like FMV too. Like it had scenes with your son and with the grandpa that seemed like it was. I would, I guess, I would say no, because I, I don't. It's to me. To, I mean, if, if we're going to be like pedantic mm-hmm. just for for the fun of it, because we're nerds, I would say no. That, that having just mm-hmm. having cinematic cutscenes would be different than controlling a live actor. Well, a lot of FMV games, though, like the FMV comes between the moments of control. So I haven't played Blackstone Chronicles. I haven't. I haven't gotten mm-hmm. around to it. So I'm not sure how it how it interacts. But like a lot of people consider not my favorite game. Uh, but Mist technically is FMV mm-hmm. because there are the you know the character videos in there. Uh, one of my favorites, certainly one of the more underrated ones. It's not a great game, but I really like uh, Noctropolis. Uh, mm-hmm. The characters are, you know, digitized in gameplay, and you're doing the regular adventuring. But there's, you know, the live-action dialogue sequences from the actual characters. So it's it's always a different level of like how much FMV is there, how much interactivity is there inside and outside of the film stuff. So I, I feel like it just has has layers. Right. I'm one. I guess I, I, I'm thinking that if if the if you're controlling a, an, an actor. And I'm not saying I'm right, but I'm just wondering, like, where are you, where are you both on that that notion? That it's, it's an FMV if you're controlling a live actor, but then otherwise it's not. No, I look at it as long as as long as there is filmed live action footage in there, then it counts. If it's well, because there's also just that big difference between what's actually filmed and stuff that's just digitized instead. Hmm. And I will make that that differentiation, like you know, like Mortal Kombat. All those are real people, but they were just digitized photographs of your digitized stills of them turned into right. uh, computer was that computerized characters. Was that how I have no mouth was? I, I forgot the story. About uh, I think I have no mouth and I must scream is just straight up. Just not. I, I feel like the art in that is way too weird. Right. 
Right. I'm trying to remember if like the people in the game, if they were like real people digitized, or if I'm just making that up, which I very well could be. I think I, I I seem to remember them having looking kind of weird, like not quite human enough to right. be digitized. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Yeah, the art in that game was weird. It was very hit or miss. Yeah, uh-huh. it was a good game. Lots of good music in that game, though, either way. But yeah, I can see that the lines are a little bit blurred. Like we said, we've talked about a game like Toonstruck where you do control the character, but he's not, uh, he's FMV, but everything else is. There's ones where there's just cut scenes. And uh, so I guess we're doing a bit of an overview generally on games that contain FMV in one way or the other. But I'd like to focus a little bit about uh, Phantasmagoria 2 specifically, just because it's the most recent game that I've played. And, and I really do feel there's so many layers in that game I'd like to unpack. I would, I would put that as probably my, my just, just barely second to Gabriel Knight 2, but in, in a really good way, in a very complimentary way, because the, the storytelling in that is, is, is amazing. I would, the, mm-hmm. for, for 95% of the game is amazing. The ending is, it does kind of lose its mind at the end, but let's not focus on the bad parts. The, the good parts being that, that Jane Jensen, t- or sorry, that's Gabriel Knight, Lorelai Shannon tells such a, just such an amazing story. And, and she uses, she employed a technique in that game where, the protagonist Curtis can't tell he has a hard time telling the difference between reality and fiction. And that's just, it's just, it's such a lovely mechanic as a player because when your avatar can't grasp what's reality and what's not, it just really messes with your own head. We're like, you know, and a good example to, to pass this around the room, I guess would be like the, the, the jarring, the jarringness of that game was when, or an example of it would be when Curtis gets punched by his computer and you're like, as the player, you're like, okay, that's probably in his head. I mean, it has to be in his head. A hand just came out of his computer and punched him. But then he walks around the corner and all his coworkers are like, whoa, are you okay? What happened? And then you're like, okay, what is going on though? <laughs> so it's just that, that level of storytelling where you care about the characters. I was so sad when spoiler Trevor died. And it's not a very fair spoiler, sorry. <laughs> um, when Trevor died, I was super bummed out. So it's like just all Telltale's ends of great storytelling. Like you made me fall in love with this character and to the point where I was just hoping that he wasn't going to die, but I kind of knew he was because it's a horror movie. And yeah, so I guess what I'm trying to say is for me, the highlight was the writing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's definitely the writing. The and the actors in that game are yeah. really good too. Yeah, and I, I mean, so, I already went on a big spiel about you know the thematics of that game and what it means to me, but just on its own, because I remember when, when I first played it, the other thing was that, you know, with as horrifically violent as the first game was, I was, you know, admittedly a little surprised, like Phantasmagoria 2 uh, isn't really about that. It's, you know, it's very much about the nightmare of this character's journey of self-discovery and uh, what a horror that is. That is why it is a puzzle of flesh because, uh, figuring yourself out is much scarier than evisceration in the long run. Um, hmm. but, and, and also, yeah, as far as the writing goes, uh, when you think about, you know, especially video game characters at the time, uh, but even now, like the vulnerability of Curtis Craig um, as a character, he's not, uh, he's not a macho guy. He, he very regularly at several points in that game, uh, finds himself to be what many would consider emasculated, and uh, he's into it. <laughs> he's not a big, tough dude. He's not Duke Nukem. Uh, he's not even Prince Alexander. He's just, you know, just this this little, just just a little guy, you know. <laughs> and I kind of love that about it. Like that that's 
they, that Lorelai was using, you know, that medium to tell a story with a protagonist that is not, I mean, you know, I guess we have a white male protagonist, which is still, you know, uh, that was still basic for the era, but he wasn't straight. He wasn't normal. There was a lot going on there. And, and I love that about that character in particular. Yeah, he was, he was definitely not, not straight up and, and all the way through it, you're, you're wondering because he's like, oh yeah, we're cool, but we're just, we're not going to tell anybody else we're dating. He's into the other stuff. And like, he, he's not even like questioning himself. He, like he's not morally, he's just got, he's got a curiosity about him. And on top of everything else going on, I just, it really drew me into his character quite a bit. Yeah. He, he never, he never seems to really damn himself for experimenting, mm -mm. which I feel like a lot of, a lot of other creators would do because yeah, like it's so when he's talking to the cop and he's got his shirt off and they're just like having yeah. a conversation right now, like that is awesome. Rock that dude. <laughs> yeah. Whereas a lot of other creators, especially in horror, like those would be mm -hmm. the reasons that bad things would be happening to him or why we would be considering him a bad person. But here it's like, nah, this dude's just, you know, realizing there's more to the world than what everyone told him there was. And he's trying to figure out what he likes and that's fine. Yeah, I like that. All right. So, what, Anna, what about the story for you? I've... Yeah, gosh, it really got to me because you're like average guy stuff's going on. I'm like, oh, he's a little wild because he has a rat. Like, you know, people that are like straight up vanilla or whatever. They're not going to have a rat most of the time. Right. So you're like, OK, yeah, this guy's this guy's got some interesting stuff going on. And then and then all of a sudden, like you said, he's he's going into this descent, but he's like, is he going into a descent of madness? Has this madness been created? Where does this coming from? Like you said, things happen. Other people can see it. And then his computer is messing with him. And like, to me, that's the creepiest part of it more than any of the horror oh, scenes yeah. was just like the little tiny subtle when the computer's messing with you and changing the words around and everything. And it really yeah. got me into it. And up until like the end, stuff uh i think i was i actually didn't follow a walkthrough i was going all on my own but when i got to the end bits i ended up following a walkthrough for that alien puzzle that you mentioned there and i, I wasn't i wasn't quite as like i'm not sure how the ending related to all the things happening to him throughout the episode I, you know i'll just say really quick on that last puzzle the, that puzzle is hard with a walkthrough <laughs> yeah, yeah it is i had to watch a video <laughs> 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 yeah, I remember back in the 90s playing it and we had to like luckily libraries, thank God for libraries. Uh there was it was a it was a Prima Games guide to like CD-ROM adventures or whatever and that book was the only reason I was able to complete uh Phantasmagoria 2 at the time <laughs> because that that final puzzle is just absolutely nonsensical. I've still got a I like in years later, I, I absolutely went and bought my own copies of those books. Like I'm not talking like while they were relevant. I'm talking like five years ago. It's like, <laughs> what were those books I had from the library that were so cool? So it's kind of nice to have those because nobody else wants them. They're nice and cheap. <laughs> Jackie, did you have thoughts on the ending of the game? I thought, I, I think I might've messed your flow up there, but you were, Anna was just saying that she didn't make sense to her. What, what sense did you yeah. make? You no, know, it's more that I feel like I need to revisit it. It has been mm -hmm. so long. Uh, I think a lot of, I, I, I mean, by that point, it could be much more metaphorical than anything. I think it's really just about Curtis coming to terms with who he is versus who he thinks he is and who he's being told he is. I think, you know, 
as somebody who's had to go on a very deep version of that journey for myself, like it, it mm-hmm. you know, it relates a lot and it doesn't have to make a lot of sense. I, I don't know that I find the ending, the endings to that game terribly satisfying, but unfortunately, especially at the time, uh, wasn't exactly a medium known for satisfying endings. You know, mm-hmm. even, even the best adventure games don't have great endings usually. Mm-hmm. Right. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's weird. Cause I, I played it a year ago and, and I've, I'm just now realizing that I don't, I don't remember the endings as nearly as well as the rest of it, but I, I'm almost wondering if, if the, the difficulty, not only of the last puzzle, and it's quite multifaceted. It was like, you know, walking and gathering and um, things like this and bringing it back to the thing to make it work, blah, blah, blah. Um, that combined with the navigation, I remember being a real, just a pain in the ass at the very end there, like trying to get the right hotspots to turn around or leave a room. And I, I guess what I'm getting at is I almost feel like I was so frustrated during the ending because of the puzzle and navigation that I don't, I, I was, and the story is just so out of nowhere that it's like all these things are hitting me at once. And I, I, I'm not sure I really quite absorbed the ending that well. Because on the surface, looking back, I'm almost wondering if there was like a Jungian, you know, this, this is his shadow and this is his him. <laughs> well, big spoiler, that is one of my interpretations if, if I okay. go right into the very, 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 very end. So, um, but you make the choice. If you're going to stay with your girl, you're going to be, you're never going to be fully satisfied. And, and what other choices has he explored during the episode that he wouldn't be satisfied for? And if you take the alien and put it in that context, he's not able to really be himself. And he's just kind of accepted what he should be with the correct girl. And then the other way, if he goes off to go off with the aliens, that, that well, I, I didn't quite get as clear on that, that meaning, but it just means, yeah, that would be the big unknown. Like he's able to take that leap and just just see and just be brave with it and stuff. Right. And, and I don't know if his company was ever able to sell the the drugs that they had created or not. <laughs> <laughs> In the end, or if he destroyed their ability to do that altogether. But yeah, I thought it was it was really good if you look at it on an alternative meaning kind of a way. Yeah, yeah. It makes me wish like I had you guys as friends in '97 just to sit around <laughs> and be like, Yo, what about this, man? How about? <laughs> <laughs> just, just really dissect it that way because it, it is fun to play with in that sense because there, there is some young kind of vibes about it as far as you know like like going out into the unknown as opposed to like settling on what society wants from you or your persona and and you know like you said living an incomplete life but mm-hmm. i don't know that's that's nice actually because it makes me not not completely despise the ending what would i i would just i'll leave this off and then ask both of you I, I don't think the ending takes away from the greater experience and I would still recommend people play it. Does, does that sound about right to you guys? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's, I mean, it, it had to have a stopping point and right. it feels like maybe that was just the part that the least, I don't want to say effort went into, but I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, I mean, you know, especially around that time, uh, there's so many stories, particularly of FMV games dealing with, you know, just all sorts of studio problems, right. especially Sierra at that time. Right, uh, right. So I can only imagine what hell it might have been just to get that game finished. Absolutely. The fact, that, the fact that any of them made it to the final, you know, version at all is impressive, honestly. Right. So the, the fact that they had a game that played all the way through, uh, like, that's that's incredible <laughs> because uh, you you think there's probably there like night trap was repurposed from a, an experiment from the 80s that game sat on a shelf for years uh there mm-hmm. was another the company digital pictures i think they're called 
that made uh, Night Trap and Sewer Shark and Double Switch and all those, uh, they went, you know, several years. They had at least one game that also was not complete that uh, became part of a movie called Game Over, which I haven't. I haven't watched it yet. Uh, but they ended up turning it into a movie about a game in the movie. I don't remember. <laughs> and there was another one that came out. Um, oh God. It was just like last year. It was like a lost game. Um, I want to say it started Timothy bottoms. Hmm. Oh, hold on. I'm, I'm let, let me think on this. Mm-hmm. Like I'm going to, I'm going to research. I should have thought about this beforehand. Um, yeah. American hero. It was from 1997, mm-hmm. and it only just recently finally got a release. Like it was a full, a full-on, you know, filmed experience, uh, and I think they just never finished programming the game all the way. So, like, you have to wonder how many of these are out there, mm-hmm. that right? We've just never gotten to get our hands on. Right. So okay. again, yeah, back to Phantasmagoria too. Whether the ending is satisfying or not, you have to wonder how many hoops they had to jump through just to get an mm-hmm. ending on it. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, and American Hero is on GOG for, for people listening. <laughs> when I Google it, the first thing that comes up is American Hero, the lost FMV disaster. <laughs> <laughs> that makes it beautiful. Some of the disasters are like my favorite ones, though. Like there's a, there's a Johnny Mnemonic game uh, mm-hmm. that's all full live action, all keyboard controlled uh, with no real... Uh, explanation unless you read deeply into how it works um it's it's like it's kind of a mess but it's kind of brilliant and uh because like there are action scenes and stuff and like full fmv but so like imagine playing like dragon's lair type action scenes but like you can win or lose the fight based on i guess picking up context clues of you know how the other person you're fighting is reacting it was a mess but it's really cool <laughs> That's right. That's yeah. kind of neat. That's kind of like how when you're playing uh, in the uh, Hero U game, the sort of version of poker that they have in the game, uh, it's it's sort of the same as poker. Anyways, you have to look at the uh, eye uh, facial expressions of the other players around you in the cartoon game to kind of understand what they're thinking to know if they're lying or telling the truth. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, that not even that even kind of the what I thought was sort of the almost the offspring of the FMV was if anybody played L.A. Noir, where they had mm-hmm. that facial scan technology that yeah. it hasn't been used in anything else because I guess because that game cost so much to make that it like bankrupted the, the studio that made oh. it because I guess Rockstar didn't want to bail them out. I don't know. Um, even though they made a shitload of money off of it. Uh, like, yeah, that wow. facial scan technology was almost, you know, it was as realistic as you could get. And, you know, we're still dealing dealing with movies that have, nightmarish uncanny valley cgi and that game got facial mm-hmm. expressions right and that was mm-hmm. that was your clue to everything in the investigations was watching people's expressions so like mm-hmm. those ideas are still floating around but but we're not using them enough right yeah agreed and, and to, to tie off your previous point about the about phantas too jackie was i I, w- I would totally agree that that the i think the story is written so well that there's no way there wasn't time constraints or budget issues or or something drastic at the end there because because it, yeah. it was just like it, it was almost I felt like Laura I was almost forced to just take several more hours of game and just be like here really quick t- take all this this is this is there's aliens and this is happening and and yeah just kind of really it, there's an all or nothing vibe and I think she played all she's like fuck it just just throw it all in there then yeah. <laughs> try to get everything well I yeah. know that legendarily also happened with uh, Gabriel Knight too was there was a whole chapter that pretty much completely got excised 
that oh. would have, mm-hmm. I believe, took place in the past uh, and involved kind of setting up all the stuff in the museum for later, something like that. Cool. Uh, hmm. I, I, others will know better than I, uh, but uh, I know I, from what I understand, all that stuff. I have a copy of it. It's literally in my bag right now. I need to read it, but the novelization of it, I think, fleshes all that stuff out more. But yeah, wow. there was there was so much more, and that's wild when you consider that one because like they they wrote like a whole ass opera for it and everything. So right, right. imagine yeah. the things that didn't make it in. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> wow. Right. Yeah. At least yeah we got, like you said, at least we got the novelization for for the two Gabriel Knights, or possibly the three. Is there a book for the third one? Uh, not that I'm aware of now. Well, what do we, what do we got for just our, uh, well, Jackie, you kind of already alluded to if you, if you were going to suggest to people listening, like one FMB game that they should play it would be kind of Gabriel Knight too. Um, so I, I mean, that's, I almost wonder if that's because of that's a slow burn. Is that a concern? Do you think that, that it starts off slowly that that could hamper people? That is into a, it? a worry, but if you're an adventure gamer already, that's one thing. Uh, if you're not an adventure gamer and you want to get into it, then um, hmm, that that could be hmm. that could be kind of the difference there. Um, if you're an adventure gamer and you're just wanting to play a good FMV game, uh, then Beast Within is probably a safe starting point. Uh, if you're not necessarily, if you're looking for to to dive into both like the the genre and FMV at the same time. I think Ripper, honestly, is probably really good for that as well. Uh, mm-hmm. Ripper's a, a, a little more all in on like the immediate investigation and action right. puzzles and all that, uh, you, you know, and you get to meet Christopher Walken right out of the gate. I mean, <laughs> what, what more could you want? <laughs> Fair, yeah. All right. And, and what would you, what would your pick be? Like for people to, to, to it's like, if hey, you've never played an FMV, you just got to break that certain type of fruit, what would it be? <laughs> like, if you want to go to like new games, a game like Internet Court, I don't know if either of you have played it, but it's wow. like a live action courtroom thriller. And you're, you're essentially working from home. Everybody's working from home on your phone and you're trying to like accuse people who complained about somebody else too much on Facebook. And now the other person is awesome. doing them for defamation. It is the cheesiest, funniest, like, but it's all FMV, right? It's, it's a good game. So, I mean, but to go back in time, if you like Space Quest, go for or your Tex Murphy, your Under a Killing Moon, or your Pandora Directive, because they're funny, they're really similar in humor style. They're also a little bit dark, a little bit gritty. You can still choose your conversation picks, so for sure. If you like scary, Phantasmagoria too. If you want partial FMV, Toonstruck is a great choice because you've got Christopher Lloyd. And if you're looking to look forward to an FMV game, uh, Marcus Ritter, who's developed a bunch of other FMV and other style games, he's doing Ghosts of the Past, and that one's going to be coming up at some point this year. And it's got like that whole supernatural vibe going to it. I think it's going to be a cool one. What's that called again? The last one? Uh, Ghosts of the Past. It's uh, in the next fest. That's how I learned about it. Yeah. And actually, you know, uh, also, uh, if I were the other one, come to think of it, if I were going to try to get somebody, hook somebody new, is obviously that X Files game. Yeah. Like, it's a great you know, game. And the because, box is beautiful too. <laughs> oh, my God. It's one of my favorite possessions but yeah that's that's one where you can hook people in Mm -hmm. on a recognizable property and it does you know it's it's Mm -hmm. one of the great licensed games you know it takes place Mm -hmm. during the series uh Mm -hmm. it's you know everything about it is it's it's an easy win i think also uh in you know on the less complicated side 
uh, one that I, I, I'm just remembering offhand. There was a there was a kind of kind of cute Goosebumps game in the mid '90s that people oh, yeah. might enjoy, uh, if only because it features Jeff Goldblum as Dracula, and I think that's the best selling <laughs> point on a game I've ever heard. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That is that is yeah. You have to say like, literally I, nothing more. And yeah, I, I promise you, if you sit down somebody at a computer and tell them, play this game, Jeff Goldblum's going to be Dracula in it, they're going to play that damn game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's true. Oh, and there's a Tender Loving Care is kind of a wild one, too. Um, that you one, can find I, that one. It's on Steam, right? So Yeah, I have that one. I haven't gotten around to playing it yet. I know that's got John Hurt, and John Hurt is just mm-hmm. incredible all the time. So mm-hmm. I, I want to give that... the well, the tender loving care that it deserves <laughs> when I, uh, when I get around to it. But and it's, it's classic. Just, uh, That's a 1998 or two. And, and, you know, it's, it goes in the way that Fantas two goes. So it's a little bit more like there's nudity and swearing and, you know, yeah, I remember that one. Risque. It was very, very much sold as an edgier title, which knowing the, the vague Genesis, because I, I think Rob Landeros who worked on seventh guest and 11th hour uh, based on the stories of, him pushing 11th hour to be a little bit more lurid and, and mm-hmm. over the top. Uh, so I'm, I'm guessing that tender loving care probably uh, caters to those, uh, those ideas a bit more of just, you know, the, the fun side of the cinematic sleaze. Yeah. Yeah. But with an all-star actor at the helm. Yeah. That's funny. What about you, Paul? Any that you'd recommend? I'm assuming you must have played an FMV in your time or two. Damn, I was trying to just sneak out quietly. I'm like, I have nothing original to add to this conversation. You guys are listing like well thought out things. I was just going to say that I, I would, I would say Gabriel Knight too, but everybody says that, so it's just like it's not a real useful tip because you know it's just go to. It's almost kind of like the goat, I guess, in a sense. So mm-hmm. uh, while my true feelings are you should play Gabriel Knight too. I'll go with Phantasmagoria too because I feel like it needs a little cheerleading because it's it's just mm-hmm. a, such a much better game than people might think and they kind of they kind of fucked it by naming it Phantasmagoria and and I get it like Anna you kind of made me aware recently that it was supposed to be like maybe an American horror story thing like it was just mm-hmm. going to continue but but they didn't they didn't at all communicate that so you're just like here's the <laughs> sequel to a game that didn't call for a sequel at all and <laughs> and it's just super strange but if you could just kind of even get that out of your head that it has nothing to do with it besides um, coping with loss, a quick throwaway line in the game, that it's the thin thread that ties the two together. It has nothing to do with Phantasmagoria 1, and it's an amazing story on its own that people should bloody play it. Yeah, if, if they'd have just, you know, if they'd have called it, you know, Sierra's Twilight Zone, then you would have been like, oh, okay, this is an anthology. Right. Instead, it's, yes. it's, it's like when Halloween 3 came out and people were like, where's Michael Myers? Like, Michael Myers isn't in this. They're telling a different story. Uh, <laughs> and then it took 30 years for anybody to appreciate it. Yes. It's, yeah, it is exactly like that. And it's been about 30 years. <laughs> yep. Coming close. Yeah, it's exactly like that. Like, if it was like, you know, a, yeah, you said it best. I can't, I can't do better than that. All right. So, I mean, that's... Uh, that's our pick for listeners. I mean, is that kind of the same as our favorites? Trying to almost fight against recommending Gabriel Knight too, because you mm. know, it, it, because I realize like that's the one that even the people who openly hate FMV games that think they're garbage all the way around, like even they all love Gabriel Knight too. But yeah, mm-hmm. something like Phantasmagoria too, or or uh, I keep going on about Ripper because I just I love Ripper. Um, mm-hmm. I'm glad you did though, because I forgot about it, and, and you've made me want to play it. Like I, I yeah. think I saw like a pushing up roses video on it, something a few years ago oh, yeah. to put it on my radar. But yeah, and I'm glad you re brought it up again because that, it, yeah, it looks yeah, so cool. and 
there, there's just there's such a fun time capsule. I almost yeah. forgot to mention Dracula Unleashed, which was one of the earliest ones I mentioned, and it's such a weirdly designed game. It's all about like waiting for things to happen at the right time and being in the right place. It, it's that's a bizarre little game, but that one I still kind of have a soft spot for too. Uh, I, I kind of have a soft spot for all of them though. I can't help it. <laughs> yeah, that's fair though. Is Harvester 2 the one that uh, Metal Jesus was on? Or was that a different one? No, no, he was on uh, Shivers 2. There was no Shivers Harvester 2. Right. That's there right. was barely a Harvester 1. <laughs> there was only Harvester. There's only one of this game. It looks yeah. reminiscent of I Have No Mouth when I'm, I'm just looking at screenshots oh, of it a little bit. Eh? Maybe a little bit. Harvester, like that might take its own discussion. Harvester mm -hmm. is probably it's it's the biggest swing for the fences both in <laughs> absolutely hideous content and ideology that pairs with it that game it, it it pitches a lot of wild ideas about the nature of violence in media and it never quite takes a stance on it so you don't really know what what they want you to think by the end of it and it's sort of brilliant for that unfortunately <laughs> it's also got some really bad combat Right. Uh, um, so yeah, it's 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 a weird mess of a game, but it's really cool. Um, I guess I, I do have to shout out Dark Side of the Moon too. That's from from mm -hmm. Darren who, in the guild. Um, is his studio Tiana? I've never heard it said before, but I think that's pretty easy spelling. It's got to be that. Mm -hmm. Surely it is. Yeah. Which that one I thought was too funny because there was a completely different '90s FMV game called Dark Side of the Moon, so I was very confused when this one got announced. I didn't know that. I already had a hard enough yeah, time searching it's, it's, for it. It's a very, it's a very obscure one, but I remembered it See, being I on like a PC gamer demo disc that I had. Right. Some of the games we like Enclosure, for example, fantastic game, but so hard to like Google. You sometimes got to wonder if titles got missed because they just couldn't be found in the algorithms. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, I knew, yeah, I, Dark Side of the Moon. I bought it. I just, I, I, I haven't played it, but. You know, I, I did the supportive thing, uh, so everybody else should at least do that. I think that's what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. that you don't have Absolutely. to. You don't have to play anything, mm -hmm. but you do have to buy it. It's just nice to support the little guys. Support the little guys doing the weird stuff in particular. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're here. Yeah, I do want to take a minute just to just to talk about the projects that are happening. I want to touch on Phantom Fellows for just a, a moment and and talk about what you're working on there. And then I want to talk about a project that I know you are involved in afterwards. So, uh, Paul, hey, what's going on in the dev corner? Oh shit! Um, <laughs> <laughs> on the spot. So much stuff. You know, you got your your things. You got your stuff. What's going on? I just I just hit sixteen thousand sprites in the game. And 80, I, I just put in the 83rd room, I think the final room. So there's 83 rooms in the game. That's, that's, it feels like a lot. It was super, you know, it was a lot of work. And it feels higher than I can count. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm super, I'm really excited about that because I, I think I always wanted, from the moment I started this, I'm like, I wonder how many rooms will be. Like, I, I hope there's a lot. I can't really mm -hmm. force any in because the ungodly amount of work with hotspots and such that each room requires, but I, I hope it's a lot, and I'm, I'm pretty happy with that number. But, yeah, I'm working on the finale. I just started writing the finale, doing doing a joke here and there, making sense in between them. So <laughs> <laughs> That's good. So, That's good. Uh, I couldn't remember. Are, are you – is it is it uh, going to be text-based, or is there going to be voice acting in that one? I, there's going to be no voice acting. The, I, okay, cool. Yeah. I mean, def just, definitely just trying to visualize. Yeah, because mm -hmm. you know what it is? I, I think 
I think that the voice acting rarely enhances modern indie games. I feel like it, it's it, 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 there's a huge risk of it simply taking away from it. Yeah, I can... Like, like in other words, the best voice acting do, does it justice, but it doesn't even elevate it. It just doesn't fuck yeah. it up. <laughs> yeah, and sometimes, like, when you look at the Monkey Island games, those first two, before they did the special editions, like, the text, the way it was written almost was part of the joke. The way they would throw... Yes. You know, right. the, 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 the font and the, the, the periods, you know, strewn about <laughs> comedically. And then when you have them voice acted 20 years later, it feels weird. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like this force. You know, it's, it's there, but the punchline almost plays out differently. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like forced interpretation. Even if it's pulled off right, it's still kind of forced in that one pigeonhole direction. Yeah. Thanks for saying it that way. It's a good way to look at it. So, uh, yeah, that's good. I'd love to hear the progress on Phantom Fellows. And uh, I also want to hear about uh, what you're up to, Jackie. I hear you're working with a Space Quest historian and, and John Paul Sapford and putting yes. some things together. Yeah. Yep. I know there was a little a little tag uh, on last week's episode about it, uh, but mm-hmm. I will go into it as well. Please. Uh, I am working with John Paul Sapford and uh, Trolls Plymouth's group, Error 47, uh, who have already done some really cool, uh, really cool work with, you know, reimagining some classic video game music. Uh, and right now we are working on an album called Soups On, which is uh, a full, it started as, as a much smaller project than it is now, uh, but it is going to be four albums, uh, ba- four LPs, I should say, you know, vinyl records. Uh, of, of a complete reimagining of the soundtracks to the seventh guest and the eleventh hour. Um, I'm I'm contributing as the vocalist. There are four songs with vocals, um, and I will be basically. Uh, so I'll be. From from what I understand, the way it's it's played out, it's kind of cool for me. Is that I open the seventh guest and then end of the seventh guest, and then I open the eleventh hour and end the eleventh hour, which cool. feels really cool to me. Yeah, and mm-hmm. um, the, the the music that. Uh, the, that uh, George the Fat Man Sanger did for mm. that game in particular is just incredible. It was one of the early, like, actual masterpieces beyond uh, chip tunes, really. Right. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and he was great at those too. He did the the music for like the NES version of Maniac Mansion, which has some incredible, incredible music. He did the music for uh, Zombies Ain't My Neighbors, uh, like mm-hmm. so many unbelievable uh, bits of music. But the Seventh Guest was the first time. I remember hearing music in a video game and thinking like, this is, this is real music. This is, we are beyond just, you know, something that you're creating with a computer. Uh, even though a lot of it was MIDI, like just, it's, it's such an incredible experience. And, you know, for those like back in the day, if you popped in that second disc into a CD player, it played the full mm-hmm. soundtrack <laughs> to the mm-hmm. game, which, you know, that had never been done before. Um, and, and, you know, we just love it so much and we're, we're re, uh, reinterpreting it in our own way. Uh, I believe the way that uh, Trolls described it is like, what if Typo Negative or you know some other mm. '90s industrial gothic kind of band uh, reinterpreted the Seventh Guest soundtrack oh. and the Eleventh Hour soundtrack? So uh, those are all the things that I love in the world. <laughs> so yeah. I'm really <laughs> part of this, uh, especially with uh, the blessing of the Fat Man himself, who put the hat back on. He hadn't worn it in a long time, uh, wow. just for a video for us. Um, as well as uh, the blessing of trilobite is uh, directly. Uh, so we've got all the all the people. You know, this is above board. All the right people are involved, and we are running a Kickstarter for it right now. 
which is going splendidly well. Uh, we we hit our halfway to the goal we needed within like a day or two. So uh, yeah, uh, I'm sure you guys will have a way to to, to link that elsewhere. Uh, mm-hmm. People are gonna love it. It's it, there, there's so many cool options, and we're just gonna keep adding more to the campaign as it goes along. Yeah, that's uh, awesome. There's about about 40 days left, I believe, in the campaign. But yeah, we'll have it linked below. You, everyone's got a little bit more time, but but don't, don't you know? Don't get comfortable with the amount of time you have, or you'll you'll miss it. <laughs> exactly. So we've got that great project going on with the Space Quest historian conversations with Curtis. Is always putting out interviews every single week. He just put out a really good video for, um, with Roberta Williams and Victoria from Phantasmagoria. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know her last name. Um, and Anna actually taught me a lot from from just her watching it like a day or two ago. And, uh, and then he's got another one coming out very soon with uh, David Grossman, which is very cool. It's somebody you don't get to hear from a whole lot in his days at LucasArts. So check out Conversations with Curtis for that stuff. And then, of course, show love to some of the other people in the Adventure Game Hotspot Network, such as Adventure Game Geek. And one, one short, short, I have some really cool stuff coming out too. Some Monkey Island speedrun action. So mm-hmm. exactly exciting. stuff to look forward to. So yeah, check that out. And hey, you know what? Maybe even you can go search for us out in the wide, wide world of the internet because this concludes our episode of the Classic Gamers Guild podcast. We hope you enjoy our chat with Jackie and. Of course, Paul was here <laughs> and me. Uh, FMV Adventure Games was the topic of the hour. But if you do want to stay connected, talk more about it and tell us about your experiences with FMV games, uh, you can go find us out in the wide, wide world on the Twitterverse at CGG Podcast or at Phantom Fellows. Somebody will definitely answer you somewhere. And uh, <laughs> somewhere in it's some way. It's pretty authentic, though. It's true. We might. Super, no, yeah, yeah, we might. Yeah, you can find us on Facebook at the Classic Gamers Guild, or you can look up the Classic Gamers Guild podcast uh, page there. You can find us on Instagram at CGG Podcast, or hey, send us an email. A few of you do that, and we love it so much. Mail at ClassicGamersGuild.com. And, uh, of course, that leads you to thinking, well, do they have a Patreon page? Yeah, okay, it's true. We do. (laughs) It's Classic Gamers Guild uh, on Patreon, so please support the show or, you know, just listen and don't support the show. I have no way to verify it. I'm not going to stop you from listening, but for those that do support the show, my goodness, do we ever appreciate it? It makes it possible for hosting and all the other cool things that we like to do. So uh, nothing outside of that, but still we really appreciate it. And, uh, and thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next week for another exciting adventure in gaming. And also check out Destify and, and Brian. Thanks for playing Gold Rush. You're amazing. And check out Adventure Game Hotspot Network. Don't do a murder. Don't tell me what to do. <laughs> Part of the Adventure Game Hotspot Network. So, you're not gonna say it. No? Alright.